Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I am Scott Pienowski, your rotating host, and I am thrilled to talk to I don't know who's on the Mount Rushmore for fantasy football, and I don't want to get in an argument over this guy over that guy. But if I was doing it, Evan Silva is on that list. You know him from all the years. He did all the work at Roto World, and now he's at Establish the Run, the site he's co-founded with Adam Levitan, doing all sorts of stuff over there. We're going to talk football. We're going to talk, look back, look forward, maybe give you something to bet on if you're so inclined. So before we get to Evan, let's remind you, bracket season is here. You can play this year's Yahoo Fantasy 50K Tourney Pick'em Contest. wonder if Evan's going to pick Marquette. For your chance to win cash prizes, the bracket with the highest score will win the grand prize of $10,000. Sounds good to me. In the Las Vegas getaway, free to enter. Over 10,000 people will win cash prizes. You can sign up now at tourney-yahoo.com. I'm not eligible. I'm a Yahoo employee, but maybe Evan can win that. Mr. Silva, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. The uh, the off season has given us a nice little respite. Uh, the early off season since the end of the Super Bowl, but uh, news is gonna is starting to pick up. And you know, we we just got caught wind of a, a huge move in the NFL. And I think as this week progresses, we're gonna see. Uh, lots of cuts start to tr- trickle in, maybe some extensions like the one that, that just came in. And then next week, I think it's going to be a big it's it's going to be it's going to be like madness next week. Yeah, we're about the you know, the the asteroids are traveling and they're about to start colliding. And, mm-hmm. you know, big names are going to be moving. We're not that far from free agency. We're not that far from the NFL draft and just the personnel. You know, the NFL, there's just going to be a ton of personnel shifts and we're going to have to try to figure out. We know the NFL more than other leagues is a reshuffle league. There'll be teams that were bad last year that will be good this year and vice versa. And uh, we're going to try to sort that out. The big news you were alluding to, it sounds like the Cowboys and Dak Prescott have finally, I think everybody expected this. They finally gotten a deal done. Sounds like four years, $160 million. I was so sad when he got hurt. Of course, we, we want to see the best players on the field, but especially with Dak, because I thought with that defense being as bad as it was and with the skill talent they have, I felt like we were going to see like one of those once every 20 year seasons where the numbers were going to be ridiculous. Just give me a sense of where you're at with, with Dak and that Dallas offense. Yeah. And I think that we can expect a bounce back because they're going to be getting back their two offensive tackles. Uh, they're going to be getting back their, uh, their young center. 
Um, their offensive line just fell completely apart. I mean, there were times where, where their five projected starters weren't on the field together at all this past year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Dak Prescott, I, he's been – you know, he, he came on the scene, I remember, in his rookie preseason, and it was kind of like Russell Wilson, where Russell Wilson just – just lit the preseason on fire and people, you know, say, oh, well, you know, the preseason doesn't matter, et cetera, et cetera. You know, don't even pay attention to the preseason. Well, sometimes the preseason can be uh, very informative and, and help you with your, your prognostication. And that was the case with Russell Wilson very much so. Um, and it was also the case with Dak Prescott uh, because he just looked so composed and and in control, and he had that dual threat impact, which you know, so many quarterbacks that has been um, kind of propelled them to er or help play a part in propelling them to early career success. And the fact they could just they could get themselves out of trouble, and then also on third down when you know the the defense is clearing out to to cover the guys going downfield, they can take off and run. Or Dak Prescott has been so proficient um, as like a goal run, goal line runner as well. Um, you know, he's not a, a perfect passer. He's not the best anticipation passer in, in the world, but he's got a strong arm. He's, you know, accurate more, more often than not. He's a really good decision maker. And he's got that dual threat capability that can allow him to succeed despite not being the best anticipation passer in the league. And with the, with the addition of Amari Cooper, which at the time was widely panned. Um, and there was some reason for skepticism on that. But a guy that can win against man coverage like that as a route runner, and then the addition of Michael Gallup and C.D. Lamb and getting back these offensive linemen. I think, and this will be what I guess his third season with Kellen Moore as his O.C. Um, there's just a lot of continuity there, and continuity I found is something to to bet on in the NFL. People are going to be a little bit scared of of Cowboys players just because of the recency bias, but I think this is going to be an opportunity for us to just draft the heck out of them. Uh, continuity was kind of my watchword last summer. I, I used that word like they were giving me a hundred dollar bonus every time I threw it out there. I'm so glad you, you brought up Russell Wilson because I think if his rookie, we're not going to talk much about Wilson. I don't know where he's headed. If, if by the way, if, if you have a prop on where to bet on Wilson playing next year, at any point you can throw it out. But his rookie year, um, Doug Farrar, who was a colleague of mine at Yahoo at one point, he's worked for a bunch of different sites. Really sharp football guy. He had me on his radio show, and we we're t and he was saying how he's close to the Seahawks. He lives in that area, and he was saying that was a year that they had signed what Matt Flynn in free agency, but they still drafted Wilson. They saw potential, and he's like, he's going to be their starting quarterback. He's this is ridiculous the value they got. I, I think they got a potential star here, and Farrar sold me on Russell Wilson in that 15 minutes we talked. And I said, I'm going to draft him in every league, maybe not one quarterback, but in in the super flex leagues I played in. I made sure to prioritize this guy and, and it took a while for them to kind of give him the keys to the offense. He was playing kind of under wraps for a while, but by the end of the year, he was smashing people. And I won, I think the Mark Stopa league that year, which is a big money league because Wilson was going ham in the playoffs. And that lit, kind of put a little bookmark in my mind of what you're talking about. We can learn in preseason with Prescott. When I saw what he did in his preseason, I drafted him in leagues where, getting a, a flyer quarterback would help. Remember, we didn't know if Tony Romo would come back that year and be the starter. I drafted Prescott like he would be a full season quarterback and really paid the dividends for that. Is there 
some do's and don'ts for what, because there's going to be a lot of stuff in preseason that doesn't matter. I know in the past, you, you and Adam Leviton will talk about team preseason, you know, how you've done really well in DFS. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on preseason, but when you watch preseason football, because we didn't have any preseason games at all last year, and I'm really not sure what the NFL plans on that going forward. But when when it comes to a player that isn't maybe on the draft radar who can get on it in August, just tell me what type of things you might be looking for. Maybe we can find another Russell Wilson or another Dak Prescott this year. Just guys that I think, and it's the same with evaluating college players, just guys that pop off the screen a little bit when they're going up against their, their competition, you know, um, you can sort of tell the NFL player when you're watching a college game, you know, the NFL guys, they kind of stand out from the crowd. And I mean, even all these guys that are playing in preseason and the sample size is small. So, you know, they, you, you can definitely be led astray at, at, at certain points, but guys that really stand, I mean, the, the guys that are playing in preseason, they were, they were stars in college, you know? So, Guys that, that stand out among their competition, I think, in, in every aspect of football. Go watch a high school football game. You can tell the guy who might have a chance to play, you know, D1 or, you know, let alone in the NFL, like that guy is popping out. So just guys that, that stand out among the, among the rest. And it's not a, a foolproof um, – it's not foolproof. I mean, I remember, you know, Andre Williams – looked really good in his first preseason. You know, the the famous one that everybody falls back on when they like to, you know, take a dump on the preseason is Amir Abdullah, you know. Or Christian Michael, right? Christian Michael, yeah, yeah. And as and as we learned, like, those guys had serious flaws in their games that, I mean, you were, were even maybe identifiable on their college tape and maybe it's something that, you know, that, that we should have known going in to some extent, like Andre Williams had, like, no pass ca- catching, you know, uh, aptitude whatsoever um, and he really couldn't move you know uh, from an agility standpoint so but when you would get him a crease I mean he could look special at times and that's what happened in, in, in his rookie preseason and Amir Abdullah he he really did have dynamic uh, traits you know but he he fumbled too much and he and he couldn't pass block and Christine Michael had you know just a, a, a litany of, of shortcomings as a football player but there, there was a reason that, that he pop, popped off. He was an amazing athlete. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's easier to, it, to analyze in hindsight, of course. Um, it, it's always easier to ha- uh, analyze in hindsight. But, uh, I mean, still, like, uh, I think that, you know, there, there were reasons that th- those guys popped off, um, even though they wound up not being successes. Let's talk about, we'll stay in the NFC East, and let's talk about another really interesting player who doesn't have much of a sample yet, we saw the Eagles finally go to Jalen Hurts. I think we were asking all last year, like, what would it take for Carson Wentz to get benched? Eventually, Wentz out, Hurts in. Wasn't perfect at times, but, man, he he showed a lot of good things. Obviously, he had interesting college career. We, we ended up at a couple of different places. And it, it can be hard sometimes to know what to make of talent that comes out of Alabama. You're surrounded with so many other good players. I really don't know what to do with Tua right now, mm-hmm. or maybe even with Mac Jones, because they're throwing to the best athletes in the world, it feels like. But anyway, Hurts, I thought he looked good. We know Wentz is out. It's possible they could draft a quarterback. They've obviously gone with a new coaching staff. Give me, I'm excited for what I saw, and because of that rushing backboard, we know that Hurts is capable. This is one of my favorite fantasy things. He can have a bad real-life game and put up like a top-five fantasy oh, score. Yeah. That's how valuable that Konami code hat tip Rich Rebar, that's how valuable that is. Give me a sense of how you feel about Hurts right now. I, I would just say that I, I don't know. I, I, I remember him playing at Alabama, and 
you know, he eventually lost his job to, to Tua there. And that's why he transferred to Oklahoma. Um, and man, he, he played early in his college career and he was not good. I remember specifically watching OJ Howard, uh, you know, reels and wa- watching his quarterback. I mean, the only way that they could get OJ Howard the ball as a, as a receiver was like shovel passes because I mean, Jalen hurts, like he like couldn't throw for, you know, for, to, to be a little bit hi- hyperbolic. Um, but, and so I think that that created, you know, not, not necessarily a bias, but that's, you know, that, that's your first, your first impression of Jalen Hurts. And then he goes to Oklahoma where, I mean, they've just been just cranking out, um, you know, NFL players, some studs, some duds. Uh, but, you know, in that Big 12, uh, you know, defenseless conference with, um, you know, one of the best uh, offensive minds in, in, in all of football there in Lincoln Riley, you know, was Jalen Hurts a product of the system? Um, that that became a question mark. He went in a second. Two straight Heisman Trophy winners, right? I mean, yeah. You know, Murray and Mayfield, yeah. Yeah. And then he, and then Jalen Hurts goes to the NFL. He's a second-round pick. The, his, the history of second-round pick quarterbacks in the NFL is not very good. There have been a couple decent ones, but for the most part, second-round quarterbacks in the NFL do not work out. Um, but then he gets his opportunity. I mean, he, he definitely looked like he belonged. And he went in there with – you know, if you look at his supporting cast, I mean, he was just decimated by injury, especially on the offensive line. Uh, um, you know, Zach Ertz just fell off a cliff uh, dealing with injuries. Uh, Dallas Gert- Goddard was hurt for a time. Um, Jalen Rager was hurt. Deshaun Jackson was hurt. I mean, you know, and, and, and despite that, uh, I think that Jalen Hurts looked like he belonged. And and he has that dual threat capability that has again translated to um, early early career success for for quarterbacks. And um, now I and now we we what what do we get today? We get Jeffrey Lurie. There was a report that Jeffrey Lurie, the Eagles owner, wants the Eagles to give Jalen Hurts a year. And maybe maybe instead of and, you know there has been some talk that hey maybe the Eagles might trade up, try to get a, try to get a quarterback. They're sitting at number six right now. That's sort of not in prime territory to get what Trey Lance or, or Zach Wilson, or um, I don't know, maybe they'll have a shot at, at Trey Lance, but um, you know, I, I, I think it's really interesting that, that they would, I mean, you can put Jalen Rieger around and you could put Dallas Scott around the, a bunch of these offensive linemen are coming back now. And the supporting cast all of a sudden goes from, you know, terrible to potentially average to above average. And Jalen Hurts has that dynamic dual threat capability. And I mean, he's 66 to one to win MVP. I know this sounds crazy. I know it sounded crazy last year to talk about Josh Allen as a potential MVP candidate. But um, if you're looking for a long shot, I mean, there are, there are a couple that I think are, are pretty good. And Jalen Hurts is near the top of that list. You mentioned in passing Jalen Rager. And I wonder if there might be a buying opportunity on him. And yeah. I, I want to be full disclosure. I, I took, you know, I made a couple of cheap Twitter jokes about Rager. I, I gave him my fictional Nikhil Harry award of the, the, the receiver with a bunch of, uh, you know, a high draft slot who really did nothing with it. I know Harry's been hurt a lot in his first two years, but as a Patriots fan, I can't help but look at the player. You know, they could have had Terry McLaurin. You know, they have Nikhil Harry. They could have had DK Metcalf. They could have had AJ Brown and on and on it goes. And Rager, unfortunately for him, had the misfortune of being drafted right before Justin Jefferson, who is, just looks like an oh-my-God player. Talk about a guy you want to flash. The first time you watch Justin Jefferson, you just fall in love with him. 
But Rager played with really bad teammates at TCU. Just about everything went wrong for this Philadelphia offense. You met the offensive line was hurt like the first day of practice. It felt like that line had already started to crumble. You feeling any last year's bum, you know, uh, depressed market, maybe get in on Rager? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I definitely do. And I don't know. You know, this time of year, the 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 theory is that you really shouldn't trust a whole lot. And maybe this is misinformation coming out about, you know, what Jeffrey Lurie wants to see with the Eagles. But I think it does make sense for them to trade down and give Jalen Hurts a year, give him the keys for a year, and let him grow with, with Jalen Rieger. And Dallas Goddard, I think, can be an absolute monster. It looks like Zach Ertz is, is on his way out of town for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, we're, 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 we're kind of starting to talk ourselves into a, a team stack possibility here with, you know, maybe Miles Sanders as a second rounder. And then, you know, you fill it in with, um, Goddard, maybe in, in FFPC with the, with the one and a half point, um, premium scoring, uh, Goddard, maybe, you know, in the, in the fourth round, and then you, you bring it back with Jalen Rieger in the, in the sixth or the seventh, and then Jalen Hurts in the ninth or 10th. And now, now we're talking about a pretty exciting team stack again, with a lot of parts coming back and guys that, that can score in bunches. Jalen Rieger does have big play capability. Dallas Goddard, I think has, he could be a top five fantasy tight end in 2021, um, and then Jalen Hurts, I, I think you make a great point that he can have a bad game and still put up like 29 fantasy points because of the way he plays. I know people are going to be in on Dallas Carter. He's not going to be any kind of a secret. He may be one of those persons who's on so many sleeper lists that he's, it just seems silly to even put that tag on him. But I will guarantee you this. He'll be on at least a few of my teams because I feel like that party, that pinata is going to get smashed really soon. And, and I want to be in on it. Let's quickly just talk about, as we make this a de facto NFC East preview, the last time we saw the Washington football team, remember the team that challenged Tampa Bay the best maybe during their championship run might have been the WFT, where Taylor Heineke had a really nice game. And we know Antonio Gibson was coming on like gangbusters. He just impressed for a guy who hardly played at Memphis. What a baller he looked like. I I fell in love with with McLaurin very early in his rookie year. He was held back by the quarterback play at times the last two years, but he's super talented. Logan Thomas had turned into a tight end of interest in his late 20s. I think he's a fun team. I don't know who the quarterback is. It sounds like Heineke might get a chance. Maybe they're going to draft somebody. Maybe they'll make a trade. Just give me just, you know, really a brief overview of what you see with the WFT. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with everything that that you, you mentioned there. Uh, Terry McLaurin had, what, almost 1,120 yards despite suffering two high ankle sprains. Um you know, uh, Logan Thomas, I think he, I think early in the season he was playing slow. And I think the more that you watched him as the season progressed, he started to play fast and look confident as, you know, every down tight end. I mean, he was like top five among tight ends and snaps played. Um, and that was really his first full year. I mean, he's been playing tight end for a few years now, but he hasn't really been playing very much. And he played a ton last year and I think that you could see the, the improvement over the course of the season I think that the, the same could even be said for Antonio Gibson who as you mentioned didn't play a whole lot in college and I thought that he kept getting better he got hurt at the end of the season um, and he kind of finished slow but I mean the the talent with him is is incredibly evident it's so so obvious I think that um uh, Scott Turner, the OC for Washington, did a really good job. I I started to kind of like him 
toward the end of their run in Carolina, like it, it kind of, it, he seemed like he was maximizing the talent that he had. Um, and then I think he absolutely maximized the talent that he had uh, in, in his first year in Washington. And they should continue to, to stack talent. They're just not in position to go get a, a, a solution at quarterback, you know, a long-term franchise caliber solution. And so they might have to have a quarterback controversy that like involves Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen and, you know, somebody else because they're, they're not drafting high in the first round. And I don't know, maybe they might have an opportunity at Mac Jones. Some people think that he could go top 10 and you can't say it would shock you because uh, there are a lot of quarterback needy teams. Um, but I, I think that ultimately what they're going to end up with is like a game manager type at quarterback because their defense is so loaded. And that's just kind of what they're going to have to do uh, in, this year because they're just not positioned to, um, to, to, to grab, a, a, you know, one of these big time quarterbacks up early in the first round. I'm so glad you mentioned Scott Turner. Cause I think one of your biggest strengths as a fantasy analyst and an NFL analyst as a whole is understanding what is the team's objective? Who are the decision makers on this team? What are they trying to do? What does Scott Turner like to do? How does he use his talent? That's what we're trying to figure out is what do these teams, and sometimes we have to go by what they do and not what they say. So much of what teams will tell you with coach speak should go just out the window, but occasionally they'll be telling the truth about something. I always feel like if they give you good news, it's something you have to be careful with. Whenever they tell you something negative, I feel like that's the stuff you have to focus on because they only tell you negative stuff when it seems like it's really true. But a big part, I think, of, of your work is just being so good about reading the tea leaves with GMs or our offensive coordinators. So I think it's something that we all would benefit from as we add that to our fantasy toolbox. Quickly, let's talk, touch on the Giants. I don't really know if Daniel Jones is going to make it or not. I think the Giants are pretty close to it's going to be kind of a make-or-break year with them. Saquon Barkley has had trouble staying on the field. It seems like that's a lot of guys on this team, right? I mean, Shepard seems to get hurt a lot. Evan Ingram did get in a full season, a little bit disappointing. Wayne Gallman... I guess kind of a ham and egger, but from volume alone, he ended up being a pretty useful player last year. And sometimes you can just get the touches figured out. You can get some nice, you know, don't be a snob with the talent sometimes. Just get the guy who's getting 15 touches and you can do something with that. Uh, What's on your mind with the Giants? No, yeah. I mean, that's something that, you know, I've had to, like, it kind of took me years to understand that, um, that, you know, don't be a, a talent snob, you know. That that's that's not a winning strategy. I mean, it's great to be able to identify talent, you know, and some people, I guess, are a little bit better than others. But at the end of the day, like, you know, we all have a lot of hits and and a lot of misses and, and, um, you know, not being a talent snob, I I think, is is, is absolutely critical, Um, especially at a position like running back where, you know, as the season progresses, I mean, they just they just drop like flies, you know, and. You know, who cares if a guy started the season third on the depth chart? Like, that's the guy you want, you know. I, I don't care what you thought about him when, when he played at Clemson or whatever. Like, if, if he's going to be have a chance at 17 to 20 touches in any given game, you know, he can go for 100-plus yards and a touchdown, you know. And he, he could catch four or five passes and, you know, score 21 fantasy points. And that's that's a killer advantage to have. Um, just for a guy that that you can get off the waiver wire like you could Wayne Gallman last season. Um, I don't know the Giants are. It's hard to be super optimistic about them. I, I mean, are are they really going to be able to take a step forward uh, with Jason Garrett as their OC? It's it seems strange to me that there was never any discussion 
of them maybe trying to upgrade at offensive coordinator after the season when they really didn't do anything well offensively this past year. And we kind of know Jason Garrett's history and, um, you know, just, just not an innovative offensive mind. Where are you at with Barkley after the last couple of seasons he's had? Would you be comfortable spending a high first round pick or even a mid first round pick on him? Probably. Um, I mean, I, I guess I'd have to sit down and actually do a draft and I, I haven't done that yet. Um, but I, I think that I, I probably would during the course of last year, after he went down, I traded him in a dynasty league for Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen. Um, and I'm, I'm feeling I, I didn't wind up, wind up winning the league, but I came in like know, second or third. And I, I'm, I'm still feeling OK about that one, you know, even though. I got that first year where I clearly had the advantage and now technically or theoretically the guy who got Saquon is supposed to, you know, kind of lead the way the, 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 for the, for the duration of the trade and the duration of these guys' careers. But um, I, I'm still feeling pretty good about that. Uh, and I do think that I, but I, but I still do think that I would take him certainly somewhere in the first round. Um, I don't know about, you know, top two or three, like we, we would have been taking him at the start of last season though. Totally fair. The words of Evan Silva, who's one of the co-founders of Establish the Run. He's the guest today on the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast, and I am Scott Pianowski. All right, let's talk about some just some broad stuff, just some fun stuff, the type of stuff I might talk about with you when I call you in the middle of the afternoon out of the blue. There are so many different ways we can invest in football now. We, we can bet on a game. We can bet on a total. We can bet on a player prop. We can bet on the Raiders to not win seven games, or we, we can, you know, we can bet on best ball leagues. We, we can bet on all sorts of different things. And I know I'm a winning player in seasonal for my life. I, I don't have exact figures. I know I've had ebbs and flows to my handicapping. I've had some years were better than others. Last year, I won a couple of handicapping things, but the five picks I release every week had a losing record for like the second time in 10 years. That still drives me crazy. I'm curious, what's, have you figured out what your best EV is? Are you a record keeper? I, I suspect that maybe a, a Drew Dinkmeyer or Jonathan Bales probably have some elaborate spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Maybe Adam Leviton does this where they can tell you, yeah, this is where I'm making my money or this is what's been a sweet spot. I think team totals uh, a lot of times are soft enough that you can get an edge. Where's the cheddar at? What what has been good for Evan Silva over the last yeah, few years? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've kept records at certain times, but I can't say that I have, you know, an elaborate, uh, you know, uh, elaborate, um, you know, re- recordings of of uh, of all the things that I've I bet on and all the all the fantasy formats in which I've taken. I, I tried to when I start out with started out with best ball, and then I just I played in too many leagues, you know, um, mm-hmm. and so I, I kind of I kind of stopped. And I, I have kept rec- records of my uh, my win totals because I'll I do these uh, fantasy team previews every year, and at the end of each one. I'll sort of have a take on um, a team's win total, uh, whether it, it be uh, the, you know, maybe betting the over or, or the under and how confident I feel about uh, their win total. So on a yearly basis, I've, I've definitely kept track of that. And I mean, I think if you cover the sport, you, you, you ought to be able to, to bat higher than 500 there. Um, I and I mean, I, I have, uh, but you know, the, the, it, it's, it's really awesome when you go like, like you know, 20 and 12 or, or 22 and 10 or something like that. Um, uh, and I, I had like, you know, a, a year or two like that. And then I've had years where I went just like 
17 and 15 or, or something like that. But you, you ought to be able to bat higher than, than 500 when it, when it comes to team totals, when you're picking every single one. Uh, and then certainly when you, when you narrow it down to, you know, hey, I'm going to bet on five team totals. Um, you, you ought to be able to, to, to pretty much nail them. Last year, my, my big over was the Titans over, I believe, eight and a half. And then the Broncos under seven and a half. Um, so w- was able to get both of the, oh, and then also we, we were on the bills big time, uh, to, to have a good season. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, when, when you can narrow it down to just, you know, three to five teams that you're going to really go hard on, um, I think that that can be very, very profitable, um, season long it, you know, I, I, I've had big years and, and not so great years. Like this past year, I had a lot of Cowboys team stacks, you know, um, I had, uh, some Seahawks team stacks that looked really, really good. And then, you know, kind of faded uh, toward the end. It, it was a wild season. I mean, from – and I, I know we say that every year, and, and truly every year is a wild season. But with the addition of, of COVID to, you know, starting out with t- – uh, players just were not conditioned like they they usually were – they like they usually are coming out of, you know, training camp in the preseason because there was – there was no preseason and there was hardly any training camp. And so the soft tissue issue injuries early in the season were brutal. Um, and then, you know, the, the COVID clusters as we progressed through the season were, um, were, were pretty crazy as well. And just, you know, one, one thing was that usually in, in the past, Saturday has been a day where you can kind of just chill and go hang out with your kids and, you know, take your mind off football for a day after worrying about the injury report Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then getting ready for Sunday. But this year you, you, you could not take Saturday off because a lot of big stuff happened on Saturday. So that created sort of an edge for people that had the capability to go, you know, keep the grind on seven days a week. Um, And, you know, and if you were taking Saturday off, I mean, you know, that, 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 that could definitely work to your detriment. That is a great observation. I mean, it, the NFL truly turned into a league where news could break any time. I, I remember Schefter bombs landing at four or five in the morning of a big news that was actionable, the type of thing that you would run to a waiver wire and have something you could immediately do or somebody you needly, immediately needed to replace. Yeah, we were, there were weeks where we weren't sure when games were going to get played or if games were going to get played. We had teams that had to shift their bye weeks. The Broncos had one week where they had a non, basically a non-quarterback starting and it just submarined their entire offense. So we were asked to to the cadence of the league. The season was all totally different, and just getting people on the field was totally different. I, you know, obviously, things will be different next year, but you're totally right that. And then this is why just certain things you, you have to be. I think everybody's listening. This is probably on Twitter, but you have to be on Twitter. You have to have if you don't have an, a couple of NFL insiders in your corner, or you know, again, you know, anytime this guy Evan is tweeting about something, it's actionable. You need to consider it. it. There may be an immediate move you can do. And um, sometimes I don't always find it satisfying that's the race to the waiver wire. The guy who's the most engaged person online may win a seasonal league. But that's certainly a big part of that success. And this is another point. It's probably obvious, but I just want to underscore it. When we're talking about things like a team over under total, so somebody out there may be listening say, hey, I play fantasy football, but I'm not, you know, I'm not on a sports book or I, I don't really like to gamble on the sport. It's not my thing. Just figuring out who's better than who or what game's going to have a lot of points in it or whatever it is, 
even if you're not handicapping to place a bet on something, all of those things, all of those ability, the skill set to see, oh, okay, people think the Browns are going to be this, and I think they're going to be a lot worse or whatever it is. Last year, I wish I had gone in with both feet because I, I didn't completely send it in on this. But very early, I came to the conclusion that the Bills are going to be better than people think. And this is finally the year the Patriots aren't going to have the pieces. It feels like their whole defense has opted out. Obviously, a quarterback change. I don't like their skill talent. And I realize people are afraid to bet against Bill Belichick. I mean, the, the guy just puts out double-digit win seasons every year. But uh, Buffalo and New England, Buffalo over New England under. And, and that's a correlated play, too. I, I, you know, I thought Buffalo winning the division was tied to New England not being a major contender. And I even think Belichick did a great job with what he had. But so to anybody who listens to the shows, when we talk about spreads, we talk about over-unders, even if that's not your thing, even if you're not going to bet a penny on the NFL season, you have to understand that this handicapping process will also correlate. You know, if what makes somebody a good DFS player or what makes somebody a good handicapper will also make you a better seasonal fantasy football player. Yeah, man, I, I, I could not agree more. I mean, just understanding the league better, you know, not taking the entire off season off, you know, um, you know, keeping track of, of free agency. I mean, knowledge is going to, is going to be our, our biggest edge, you know, and, and working hard. And I think we could even segue this into the conversation that we had two years ago on the Establish the run podcast about drafting early. And I think that, you know, I, I think my, I think my, my take on that has kind of evolved over time and I'm, I'm a huge proponent of drafting early, but not just drafting early. I mean, cert, cert, you know, you'll, you'll say, you know, on Twitter or something that, you know, you're a proponent of drafting early and like people get outraged. And I mean, like, seriously, people get outraged about this take. Uh, but, but really what it comes down to, man, is, and I'm, I'm, that doesn't mean that I'm an, oppo- an opponent of drafting late. I think that just getting in reps, like, like anything in life, um, whether it be, you know, six months out or four months out or, you know, the day before the, the you know, that, that Thursday night game starts or even there are some interesting leagues in FFPC that allow you to draft um, after the Thursday night game, which adds another layer of strategy because, hey, you know, Kareem Hunt goes off for 43, uh, you know, against the Patriots in that week one game and all of a sudden like, you, you, I mean, he's in contention to be the number one overall pick just because you can secure that. You, you get that forty three, um, and that's a huge edge. And especially in a, in a, I think it's a, a an eleven week regular season because then it goes in into um, you know a, a, a longer form of the playoffs uh, in in FFP in FFPC. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a big proponent of drafting early. And I think the main reason for me, and I, I had different reasons, I think, back when we talked, and, and I still believe in those reasons, and I, I know that you do too. But I think for me, it just comes down to getting reps and drafting as much as you possibly can. That's naturally, like anything in life, you're going to become a better drafter when you draft more because it's just about getting reps. And I don't know, you know, the one of the first things that I, I try to, or one of the core principles that I try to teach my daughter is like, how do you get better at something by practicing, you know, and that that's just the, the, the best way to get better at, at anything, any endeavor in life. And um, I, I think that, you know, that that's critical in, in fantasy drafting too. Totally could not agree more. 
it blows my mind that it wasn't that long ago that I would go into an important draft of mine in the summer and it would be my first draft of the season, except for maybe a magazine mock that you know, nobody took ownership really of. You want to get that player pool. You want to get comfortable with the player pool and try different things. Okay, I went Travis Kelsey in the first round. What did my team build look like? Uh, you know, I went with an early. I, I took a Patrick Mahomes with an early quarterback. You know, it used to be that everybody, and, and that quarterback thing is shifting, right? It used to be okay. You know, JJ Zacharyson put it out there. You know, late round QB is a winning strategy. I, I think. It, we're at a point now where you maybe need to reevaluate some of the things that might've been true five or 10 years ago, because this game is always evolving. And so, yeah, do different things, try different things. It, it will give you, that's why best ball has become our best friend for, for my money. Best ball is like the driving range. Okay. And you're going to work on things. You're going to try things. You have some time to make your pick. You can solicit advice of a friend. You can, you can go on Twitter. You can you know, crowdsource it if you want. And if you get in some of these best ball leagues, you can get in with a pretty small investment you will be so prepared when the when the main season, whatever drafts that are important to you in July or August or September, you would have gone through all those reps and you'll be ready for that. So that is, I think, a gigantic reason to do this. The other thing, the other main reason, this could be a multi-pronged argument, but I think if you're going to be a good fantasy player, it comes down to you need to be able to come up with angles and with truths before they're obvious to everybody else. Once they're obvious to everybody else, it doesn't have anywhere near as much value. If you can figure out a good pickup a week ahead of time, you might get the guy for the minimum bid or maybe as a free pickup. And then the next week when things change a little bit, he's obvious to everybody. Now he's like a 70 or 80% fab purchase for somebody. If you can get to things a little bit early, if you can connect dots a little bit early, if you see the potential of a team or a player to be better or worse than expected, you will never profit on that as much as you will before everything kind of kicks in. It's obvious to everybody. Now for me, I'm going to wait till the NFL draft actually happens before I open up my best ball portfolio. I've had success in best ball. I'm not sure. It's only been five or six seasons I've been doing a lot of it, so I'm not even sure if that's enough of a sample to draw conclusions from it. But after the NFL draft happens, by then free agency will pretty much be just about done. Then I'll start jumping in, learning the player pools, and kind of getting ready for my season. Are you comfortable drafting for fantasy before the NFL draft? Are you going to wait till the NFL draft? Give me a sense of when you're really going to jump into that best ball, get the reps in season. I used to just jump in like right away, but I don't know, maybe it's because I'm getting older and, you know, I'm slowing down or something, but I, I, I and I also, I, I'm not going to do, I'm going to do exactly what, what you do. I'm going to wait until after the NFL draft, um, you know, and, but um, I, I would say that, you know, I, I, when, when I did draft before the draft, and this was actually when I, when I, when I have kept uh, a record of my results, I didn't do very well um, with my teams that were drafted before the NFL draft. So I don't know. Again, that, that was a small sample. That was probably like a two or three season sample that I really kept those records and that I, that I really did that aggressively. Um, so that, that might be a small sample, but I, I'm just like, especially after the season we just had, like I, I kind of need a, a couple of weeks, maybe even like a couple months to just kind of chill out for a while, you know, um, keep track of uh, certainly, you know, keep a very close tabs on um, what these teams are doing in free agency in the draft and trying to understand how they're building and all that. But yeah, after that, after that season, just filled with all the, the COVID and the soft tissue injuries. And um, I, I just, I need kind of like a breather, honestly. I know another thing that you do that I think is a cheat code 
is that and I think you've been doing this for a few years in a row that, that you have a summer break with Warren Sharp and you guys worked on his book. Warren Sharp, of course, one of the smartest football minds we have. And you'll work on his book and you'll go to the beach and you'll talk football. And I think if you can find not everybody is meant to partner up, not everybody's meant to be co-owners. You have to find somebody who you have a kind of similar worldview to. But if you can find that right person, and now all the fab process is split up, all the tough decisions every week are split up, and you have somebody who cares about the team as much as you do. And I, I found that when I found the, a good a working partnership in different fantasy sports, man, I feel that those teams, the EV just goes off the charts because, because now you get two heads instead of one. It, 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 you need to find the right person. There's probably some partnerships that don't work out well at all, and, and I think that will probably reveal itself quickly. I don't think Warren Sharp or Evan Silva is, is offering to be anybody's partner right now. They probably have full plates. But I, I just think that's one of the cheapest yeah, if you find the right person to partner up with, man, I tell you, it's a, you have so much more coverage. You're sleeping. He might be awake. He might see that Schefter bomb and get you to the wire for that move you need. I, I think that's one of the simplest but really effective fantasy tips going. No, I think it's a great, great tip. And it's something that I didn't really realize until maybe the last couple of years when I was actually – when I was starting to do like live drafts with, with Adam Levitan. And, you know, it's – and also doing live drafts with like a, a group of like friends from back in St. Louis where I, where I uh, grew up and doing like group drafts where we can bounce ideas off of each other during the draft. And um, you know, you, you reach a you, very often, especially in like the third through, I don't know, the, the third round on probably I, I'd say that there, it, it, beca- it can become cl- closer to a consensus in rounds one and two, but then, from rounds three onward, uh, you very often will reach, you know, points in the draft where you're debating between two or three players. And I think that those debates are, are really, really healthy. And actually, even if you, you don't technically get your guy, you know, I think you, you very often feel comfortable just that the, 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 the people that are drafting the team together feel happy about that pick. Um, and then, you know, they may defer to you on the next, you know, the next time that it comes back around and there's some disagreement between two or three players. And, um, yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, people present their arguments for who we should take at a certain point, you know, as you're leading up to your pick, you know, you're like, all right, well, if this guy's going to be available, we got to take him. Or, you know, if, if, if these two guys, you know, are available, who are we picking between them? And you almost have your your decision made ideally before you go on the clock. Um, but yeah, man, I, I could not agree more with that. And, uh, and that has really become apparent to me. Don't just go, I mean, just thinking like, oh, you know, I, I got everything figured out. I'm one guy. You know, I, hey, I, I did put in the research, but it can be very, very helpful to have someone to bounce ideas off of. Um, as you mentioned, I think it's a great point. And man, you know, I think you you're set up to learn the most when you can find the smartest person who disagrees with you on something. You know, if I find myself in on a player and I see you disagree on him, Pat Thorman disagrees on him, Davis Maddock disagrees on him, Rich Rebar disagrees on him. You know, you can have some great some of the greatest fantasy discussions I get and work I do is stuff just DMs I, I do on Twitter or phone calls or emails or whatever it is. And you know, I'm sure everybody listening knows somebody in their league or somebody in their orbit who, who really knows this stuff. Another great, great tip, I think, and it's so simple, is I have a good friend of mine who's a huge 49er fan. And he, he'll watch. If they play have a preseason, he'll have watched every preseason snap. 
and I can pick his brain. Or, you know, think of the beat writers, some of the athletic beat writers, you know, they, they're at the practice facility. They can tell you something that we don't know. They can give you an idea or even just, you know, some, somebody asked Sean McVay a question on this player and he had a facial expression. Nobody else knows about this, but the beat writer tells you. you know, my friend Dan Williamson, who's doing a lot of great work with Dynasty, my edge a long time ago, he told me the rookie year of Randy Moss, he said, they just had a scrimmage today and he scored seven touchdowns. And that was back when nobody wanted to touch rookie receivers. Oh, can't, rookies don't, don't play enough. Why would you want a rookie receiver? He's like, promise me you're going to draft him a couple of times. And that was the edge back then. I had a friend who lived in Minnesota who had prodigy and I had prodigy, but those edges are still out there. It's all about who's in your, who's in your orbit, who's in your, you know, who knows who's been exposed to stuff that you haven't been exposed to and pick their brains when you can. And then we talk about, I mentioned Moss as a rookie. I, I feel like the NFL and college, the games are morphing closer and closer together. And it used to be rookie receivers. Yeah. Don't go too deep with them. Yeah, you know, Moss happened and Amari Cooper was good as a rookie, AJ Green, but you know, the 2014 class. But generally it was kind of like maybe be hands off on those guys. You know, the quarterback, he may not even play right away. The you know, the running backs, we would generally want to draft them, but we just saw a year where the running backs, oddly enough, got off really slow to the box, the rookie running backs. And then a lot of them were coming on like gangbusters in the second half. We saw an unbelievable receiver class. The 19 class was unbelievable. The 20 class was unbelievable. We all know that there's a ridiculous amount of receiver talent coming into the next draft that's going to happen this spring. What You've been playing fantasy for a while. Just give me a sense of, are you more proactive now with rookies? Have, have, has the game changed enough that we the rules are different now? Now, the one position where it seems like the rookies can't get out of their way is tight end. Uh, maybe it's because right. they just have too much responsibility, too much learning. They have to block mm-hmm. a lot. Um, just give me a sense of where Evan Silva is now for redraft when it comes to what you do with these rookies. Well, I think that you alluded to it earlier, Well, and not just with rookies, but you kind of alluded to it earlier that maybe we should start to reevaluate the way that we view the quarterback position um, in fantasy because they can be high-scoring anchors to a team, especially if we're – I mean, obviously, if we're putting together a team stack. But, it, it, but you know – Especially also if we're you know if we take, you know uh, their their wide receiver one early, I think we should be more um, aggressive about taking that wide receiver one's quarterback later in the draft. Um, I think with rookies, I still feel like it's a case by case basis. I, this Kyle Pitts dude coming in, I you know <laughs> every year there's maybe one or two tight ends that I'm like, oh man. He looks awfully good, you know, and this guy looks like the like I don't know a combination of people say Darren Waller. I mean, he's he, he's head and shoulders above Darren Waller. I mean, he's like the the the, the potentially like the Megatron of tight ends, I think. Um, but I, I still I still think it's case by case and trying to identify opportunity. I was too low going into the season last year on Justin Jefferson. Um, yeah. I mean, everyone was, but, uh, you know, I mean, he, he was just a guy that was prolific in terms of his production, uh, in college. And then he, he got off to a slow start. I mean, training camp preseason, he was running behind BC Johnson. Um, you know, and there were some scout, I mean, the NFL was way too low on Justin Jefferson. He went in the, what, early to mid twenties, you know, this guy should have been a top, so, yeah. this guy should have been a top 10 pick, you know, now, now in hindsight, he uh, had what the, the 50 receptions of 10 or plus more 
uh, 10, 10 yards or more, just uh, not only a chain mover, but also a guy. I mean, he was like their vertical receiver opposite Adam Thielen. Um, he just showed that he could do it all. And that was the question about him. Was he a possession receiver coming out of LSU because he spent so much time in a slot? And then he ran 4-4-3, and it was like, wow, you know, maybe he has more capability than what we just saw him when, he, when he was running so many slot routes. I, I compared him to Michael Thomas coming out of, of college but I think he's better than that, potentially. Um, so, you know, yeah. if I can interrupt you for a second, I wonder if his stats were so good at LSU that people didn't know how to handle yeah. it. That they thought nobody's that good, right? Because you look at his numbers and you're like, how could how could the Eagles take Rager over Jefferson? It just, in hindsight, it looks so silly. But I wonder if sometimes, because college football has become such a video game, that sometimes people put out stats and, and people are like that's so intangible, untangible. I can't relate to it, so I'm just not going to take it seriously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now they now LSU has what, Jamar Jamar Chase sure. coming out, and it looks like he's going to be the first receiver drafted. I mean, what if Joe Burrow was a creation of Jamar Chase and, and Justin Jefferson? Well, let me ask you about that. I mean, what's your state of the tour right now? Because he played with all right. those tools in Alabama, and, and you know it's funny. I, I know both of us, we, we don't watch as much college football as maybe some other people do. I Look, I'm in on college basketball. I'm a huge golf fan, huge baseball fan. It's a huge part of what I do at Yahoo. I feel like there's going to be some sports I have to be a little bit lesser on, so I don't watch as much college football as maybe I could or should. But by the end of the season, when I started watching Alabama more closely, I, I thought to myself, I've been cheating myself of watching this offense, which is just every every play they run works. It's unbelievable how good they were and and some every day somebody talks on Twitter about look at the roster they had at this point in time. It's like NFL stud, NFL stud, NFL stud all over the place. But it makes it really hard to analyze Mac Jones or Tua mm-hmm. or as you said, Joe Burrow, the unbelievable talent he played with at LSU. Do, do you have a, a strong take on any of these quarterbacks as far as they, they had every toy they could possibly want in college? Do you, Burrow, of course, came into the league late. He had a major injury. I was. I thought he. I predicted he would have the best rookie quarterback season of all time. It turns out maybe Bur- maybe uh, Justin Herbert did. I feel mm-hmm. like Burrow was set up to fail with that horrible offensive line. Uh, go anywhere you want with this question. Just you know, how do what, how do we handle it when a quarterback plays with so many weapons in college that it it makes it difficult to evaluate? I, I asked the same question uh, uh, to Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus last year, and I mean. I, I think it. I, I think he just admitted that it was uh, difficult to, to to make that separation between the independent the the independency of Tua in the Alabama offense versus having literally Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, and uh, Jalen Waddle. I mean, that's just ridiculous, right? So, um, and also having an elite running game and offensive line, you know. So, I don't know. I. I've sort of been thinking as to how this might pertain to Mac Jones draft position. Might teams get scared off? First of all, Mac Jones isn't, isn't one of these dual threat quarterbacks. Right. And, and I I understand that he's accurate and his arm is considered to be, I don't know, average to maybe slightly above average. And then, you know, when, when teams go to evaluate him, they're going to, I mean, I, I think that it may get, you know, stuck in their mind that, hey, Tua wasn't very successful in his first NFL season. He's playing with the same supporting – he was playing with the same supporting cast. Did he get over-evaluated? And now we got Mac Jones, who his skill set doesn't look even as good as Tua's, right? So – and and his draft prop on, uh, on, on DraftKings 
right now is Mac, Mac Jones is uh, 17 and a half over under. I think that people are, are really expecting him to go uh, before that. Uh, so that would be the, 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 the under, right? Yeah, the under. So, um, but I, I was thinking about maybe betting the over on that if it if it starts to get to plus minus. I think it's at a month. I think it's at minus one twelve on both sides right now. I'm not going to take it right now. But if people start to take the under on that and it starts to get like maybe toward like plus two hundred, um, I, I might think about taking uh, the over on on that because I'm just I don't think that the reliability of the mock drafts is very good right now. Um, and if you look at any mock draft, pretty much Mac Jones is is going um, under 17 and a half. What was you give me a quick takeaway on Edwards Alaire? His when Williams yeah. opted out of the season, his draft stock went to the moon. Mm-hmm. He was a middle first round pick in some leagues and didn't get out of the first round anywhere. I saw by the end of the draft season, we know he didn't have a year that ultimately validated that. Give me a sense of where you're at with him going forward. Yeah, I, I think that maybe figuring out Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to be one of the keys to the 2021 fan, fantasy season. And I'm not sure that I have a real strong take on it yet. Um, I probably will be on on more the buying side. Um, but, I mean, I think that there are some reasons for pause. He's not – you know, he's not – he's he's really small. He's not particularly fast. Um, Patrick Mahomes is not like Alex Smith or – you know, some of these quarterbacks that Andy Reid has, has coached in the past that were, you know, so willing, so willing and aggressive to dump off to Brian Westbrook or, um, you know, even Damian Williams or, or Kareem Hunt uh, at, at, a, at a really high rate um, because Patrick Mahomes is looking to make plays down the football field. I thought it was cons- like very curious how few screenplays they ran for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Like, they ran way more screenplays for Travis Kelsey than they did for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And, and, you know, running back screens have always been a major staple of the Chiefs' offense. Maybe that came from lack of um, of preparation time before the season with a rookie running back in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. But that was that was surprising to me. He just he wasn't a big time producer in the passing game, and that was his bread and butter. I mean, what do you have like a hundred catches or something at LSU? That the you know the, the he was only a starter there for one year, but there are some deficiencies I think in his game. He wasn't trusted as a pass blocker. You know, they they would bring in Daryl Williams on so many pass plays, um, and I know that that's not really you know a, a role that carries fantasy point scoring significance but it does you know I mean you you want your running back to be on the field as much as they possibly can and if he has to be pulled out of the game in certain instances I mean that's going to hurt his his fantasy stock you know I remember like Ryan Matthews was a very talented guy but he couldn't they didn't trust him to pass block or play in the two-minute drill and that would always have a, a major um, you know negative impact on, on his fantasy output in addition to him getting hurt Right. I feel like with every running back, we have to ask ourselves, do I foresee cheap touchdowns? You know, the one, two, three yard plunges. And is this guy going to be game script proof? If they get behind 17 points and you have to go hurry up, is he going to be on the field? And and maybe we also have to act, you know, it's, it's funny. It used to be when mobile quarterbacks were on a team, we'd say, oh, that's good because it will spread the defense out wide. It will set up running lanes. But there's another side to that. Yeah. Okay. Um, for whatever Kyler Murray's athleticism opened up in Arizona, a lot of those rushing t- touchdowns went to Kyler Murray. 
And he was very much like you talked about with Mahomes, I think even more so with Murray. When a play breaks down, he wasn't looking to dump it off to one of his running backs. He was he was looking to run, and, and he's so dynamic at it, so good at it, and he seemed pretty proactive getting out of harm's way, which, of course, is a huge key. If you take on the hits, one of them will eventually knock you down. That's always been the Russell Wilson secret sauce. When he would run, and he started to tone that down a little bit, but he would know when to, when to call the playoff, when to say, I'm, I'm sliding I'm, you know, I'm out of bounds. And what what a cheat code. The defense doesn't know what to do. They're afraid to hit these guys. They're afraid to get personal fouls. So, you know, Lamar Jackson can take advantage of these extra yards. I I think as I get into my fantasy prep for the next year, I got to ask myself about every quarterback, especially every mobile one. And, and, and at this point, it feels like there's more mobile than non-mobile quarterbacks. Do I see him throwing to the running backs? Do I see who's getting the touchdowns at the goal line? Uh, just give me a sense of a general sense of quarterback. Are we at a point now where I don't want to draft a pocket quarterback? I mean, would you, you know, Matthew Stafford goes into a much better situation with the Rams. He's not going to run the ball. We know that. I, th- I think he has a much better chance of making a broken play than Jared Goff ever did. But is it maybe a mandate now that we better have a Konami code guy on our, on our side? And, and do you see a downside for the running backs that if they're tied to a running quarterback, maybe that, the, the bucket has a bigger hole in it for that running back than we might have thought previously. Well, I think that if you're not going to draft a dual threat quarterback, um, you better make sure that your quarterback is your, your pocket quarterback is e- either going to be throwing the ball with extreme volume or that he's going to be incredibly efficient or else he's not going to be very good in, in fantasy football. And that's the bottom line. Um, I think Matthew Stafford this year has a chance to be very efficient and could therefore overcome that sort of shortcoming in his game. Matt Ryan has at times, although this was a tough year for, for Matt Ryan. Um, he did miss Julio for like half the season. Um, but, I mean, he has been able to overcome uh, not being a, a dual-threat quarterback by with just extreme volume. Um, you know, so there there are some guys that, that can overcome it. Tom Brady was a good quarter, good fantasy quarterback this year. He was, but he was so efficient with just a, you know, maybe the best supporting cast in the league from their offensive line to their pass catchers. Um, so there are going to be a few guys that 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 can maintain a high level of, of pro, you know quarterback one productivity that are pocket passers. But man, the guys that can move and that can add forty rushing yards week in and week out, or, you know, score, you know, five to seven rushing touchdowns. I mean, that's a massive, massive edge over the the pocket passers that have to, you know, um, narrow that gap with just throwing the ball like 45 times a game. Getting to the end of our talk with Evan Silva, co-founder of Establish the Run, and just one of the the best dudes in in fantasy football in the the industry, just – the stuff he does on Twitter, I, I have mad respect for how much you've worked to try to amplify voices who people may not know about. You, you've done a lot to help people spearhead their careers. Obviously, you mentored a lot of people at Roto World and continue to do that at ETR. Mad props for that. Give me a really quick answer on this, only because you mentioned Julio Jones. I, this isn't even for the podcast. This is for me. For all I know, producer Ragu may even cut this out. I'm at a point where I'm getting nervous to draft Julio Jones. Yeah. This guy's a walk-in Hall of Famer. But we know, for whatever reason, he, he generally doesn't score the touchdowns. You would think that it would be commensurate with his role in the offense. Matt Ryan's getting a little bit old. Everybody's getting older. But these guys are getting into ages where you start to get nervous. Mm-hmm. I can't be proactive. I, I reserve the right to change my mind. But right now, I can say with a fair amount of conviction that Julio Jones will not be a proactive fantasy pick for me this year. Give me a sense of where you're at with Julio. 
Well, it's going to have to, uh, it's just going to come down to his ADP. Um, I totally get where you're coming from. Maybe that will become the popular sentiment though. And then you'll have to circle yeah. back. The value say. will be there. Sure. Yeah. Right. Um, it's going to be, we, we actually, we talked about this sort of Adam and I on, on a recent podcast and, you know, he just asked me straight up, who would you take Calvin Ridley or Julio Jones, you know, right now in a redraft league. And I said, without hesitation, it'd be <laughs> Calvin Ridley, you know? Um, so there's that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see where his ADP lands. I mean, hey, if he starts to creep into the fourth or fifth round, I'm probably going to start picking him off. But I'm not going to be taking him in the second round. Uh, so I'm with you with you there. And that's one of the great rules of thumb, that with most players, there's a price that's too high and you're out, and there's a price that's so good you're in. Right. And you can't – you don't want to be dogmatic about things. Right. Like when I said not proactive over Julio Jones, that certainly doesn't mean that uh, with the right circumstance – I thought, man, they gave me Julio Jones in the fourth round. Thank you. I'll, I'll take that all day. So you have to obviously season it to the taste of your room. I mean, we could easily book three or four hours on this, but you know, the, eventually the, the producers are going to say, we got to get this out to the people. And if you're into podcasts, Yahoo Sports, we've got a lot of them going on. The Yahoo Sports College podcast, March Madness, anyone? Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our old friend Pat Forty over at SI. Uh, they do a three-man weave, which is wonderful. Chris Haynes is... is kicking ass on, on our Yahoo Basketball NBA podcast. So you, you want to check that out. This show is uh, a regular staple in the offseason. We do five shows during the regular season, the Yahoo Fantasy Football forecast. And, of course, on Twitter, I'm at Scott underscore Pianowski. Yahoo Fantasy is our fantasy handle. You can catch Evan. He was lucky to get in on his name really early. See, Evan's always early and stuff. Evan Silva on Twitter. Uh, Evan, tell everybody what's uh, going on ETR and how they can keep up with you. Yeah, we'll we'll be uh, pumping out some free agent uh, free agency content here um, uh, very soon. Uh, Justin Herzig, who won a two hundred thousand dollar prize uh, playing best ball this past year, uh, has started to produce a bunch of best ball content for us. We've got best ball rankings up. So if you hey, if you want to start getting these reps in before the draft and and before you know the the harder free agency, uh, we've got some good content up at Establish the Run. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to leave you with this. If you've got nothing else from this podcast, you will be you will have a better seasonal season this year if you increase your best ball drafting. You know, we have Yahoo, of course, has a, has a best ball product. And I hope you check that out as well. But you, it's all about the reps. You know, it's, go to the driving range, man, because you will be by the time you get the seasonal, you'll be amazed at how comfortable you will be with the player pools. And no matter what draft slot you get or. If you're in a salary cap league, how that flow goes, man, you'll be ready. So get your reps in, whether you start before or after the draft doesn't matter. It's just a great time to get engaged with the next NFL season. My thanks to Evan Silva. Again, is just as great a dude as you can ask for in the fantasy space. Thanks to producer Ragu, as always, keep us on the air sounding great. I am Scott Pianowski. We'll have another show next week, uh, this time, different host. And, and don't forget to sign up for the Yahoo Fantasy 50K tourney. Pick them contest you're gonna pick uh marquette are they even making the tournament this year evan i don't think so i have watched a, a few games i i can i don't pay close enough to, i couldn't tell you what the record is but the last time i checked it was not very good so i don't, I don't think they're gonna make it are you a college basketball guy i am um i i just like to watch like individual games and I, I it's it's it just became it used to be my favorite sport but uh it just became too difficult, I think, to follow where all the players are and, you know, and, and all the coaches. And uh, but I, I, I love to, like, have it on the on in the background 
with maybe you know a fifty dollar bet uh, while while I'm working. Um, that, that's that's the life for me. That's that's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, it's been as somebody who lives in the middle of Big Ten country. What a just awesome Big Ten season. Michigan's great. I think Iowa is about as fun a team to watch. I hope I get well soon. Joe Wieskamp, a player who turned an ankle the other day, but uh, I'm going to watch the heck out of the Big East tournament, then the Big Ten tournament, and, um, and then get ready for March Madness. So uh, please go over to go over to our, our 50K tourney pick them, sign up, try to beat us. We'll have all sorts of contests and giveaways and get the right picks. Maybe you'll have $50,000 in your wallet. Again, for Evan Silva, who's been our gracious guest today, I'm Scott Pianowski. Talk to you soon. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.